The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, Lord. After he appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said of him, to him rather, the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It is worthwhile to try to put ourselves in the position of these post-resurrection disciples during these, our seven weeks of the Easter season. For like these disciples, we live uh, in a post-resurrection world, and yet we still await the second coming of Jesus. And we, like the disciples, have a job to do. For the disciples... These must have been exhilarating, confusing, frightening, and 
hopeful times. On the one hand, Jesus was risen from the dead. On the other, the disciples must have been realizing that the call on their lives was not over. It was just beginning. And meanwhile, hostility towards Christ had been transferred over to his followers. For if killing Jesus didn't end this movement, what would? These 40 days of intense events are captured really in several snapshots by the gospel writers and a little bit by Paul as well. There is the story of the disciples appearing to, uh, or Jesus rather, appearing to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, There is Jesus appearing, as we heard last week, to the disciples in a locked room. Uh, There is later the commissioning of the disciples to go and baptize. Uh, And then there's the story, this story, of Jesus restoring to Peter, uh, restoring Peter to ministry after his three denials. Now, in this gospel lesson, you really see that the disciples are torn between their their old life and their new life. There's there's not surety of what's going to be happening for them now. And so this story really acts as a beautiful bookend. I mean, in literary terms, it's it's obvious that uh, there is an intentional uh, uh, effort on the part of John, which I think is an intentional effort on the part of Christ, um, to, to bookend this calling of the disciples when he tells them uh, first that to follow him and he will make them fishers of men. And in Luke 5, that account is accompanied by miraculous catching of fish. You, you might have been thinking as you heard this gospel, I think I've heard that story before. Yes, it, it happened uh, when Jesus called the disciples, but now it's happening again. Jesus again allows a miraculous catch of fish Uh, And at the end of it, he says, follow me. But not all follow me's are alike. The follow me at the beginning of Jesus' ministry must have sounded different from the one at the end of his ministry. While uh, with Jesus during those first three years, of course, the disciples did come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the son of the living God. He would restore Israel to its place of prominence. Their hopes were high on Palm Sunday, and then they were crushed at the crucifixion of Jesus, only to be hopeful again after the resurrection of Jesus. This is the kind of whirlwind that they had been on. And so Jesus' appearances to the disciples now, they they confirmed that he had really been risen from the dead, not that someone stole his body or some such nonsense as that. And for 40 days then, Jesus appeared to the disciples on multiple occasions. Jesus seems to have specific reasons for uh, revealing himself to the disciples as having been risen from the dead, but in a way that must have contributed to the disciples' confusion, he, he comes and goes in this sort of mysterious fashion. Last week, for example, we we heard that Jesus could enter locked rooms. Here on the beach, he's eating fish. Well, how do you kind of put those two things together? Is he just a spirit, you know, that he can go into, you know, walk through walls, uh, but then he can also eat fish? So these texts, these remember, Jesus is the prototype of our own bodily resurrection. 
And what we seem to be hearing is that the body of Jesus is corporeal, it is tangible, and yet it is glorified and different. So when people wonder what's it going to be like when we are risen from the dead, these are the kinds of texts that you should, you should know well uh, because they, I think, give the best indication of having a physical body that enjoys fish on the beach uh, and yet is able to do um, things that we cannot do now. Still, the disciples, they, they found themselves caught between these two worlds. Okay. What Jesus seems to be saying is, this is how you're going to follow me now that I am no longer with you. Jesus is no longer initiating some kind of traveling ministry, but a lifelong commitment to the risen Christ. So following Jesus is not going to mean anymore going, say, from Cain or, or Cana to, uh, to Nain uh, or from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It means to give your whole life to Christ, to follow him with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It means to bear the cost of following him. That's made clear when Jesus says to Peter, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt. Can, he, he should have included the word whippersnapper here, right? It's like, hey, you, you know, when you, when you young kids, you could go around wherever you wanted, uh, but when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands, indication of crucifixion, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Uh, John makes it even clearer when he, he adds the parenthetical statement. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. It's kind of like Peter and the disciples who have survived this test of these three years of ministry and all these whirlwind uh, of events. Now they're being called up to the big leagues. Okay, they're professionals now. Their mission is still to follow Jesus. And that necessarily means to integrate his teachings and example into every area of life. Indeed, that is exactly what Jesus says to do in a later appearance, the, the last appearance with the disciples before his ascension, when he gives us the Great Commission, the famous Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So basically, it's about application from here on out. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. School time is over. Okay? Book learning is over. The scriptures cannot, and Christ himself, cannot possibly cover every instance in which our faith in Christ will inform us as to what we should do. It must be applied in an uncompromising manner. There can be no embarrassment about this. And uh, in applying the gospel, we must apply it to uh, work and family, civic affairs, and, and our own personal outlooks on things. That's why I think very little of sort of a lot of contemporary, what you might call gospel ease, uh, those messages that reduce all of the teachings of Christ 
to something like world peace and good feelings, uh, of seeing God and Christ as little more than some kind of uh, cosmic version of Santa Claus. That's why Christianity is not just an amendment to your life. Okay? It's not like a nice purse that matches your outfit. It is not a cafeteria offering that you can just sort of take or leave the bits and pieces that you like. That's why we should be a little bit nervous when people start saying things like applying the, you know, when Jesus says, remember everything, teach everything that I have commanded you, and then we apply it to every area of life. That should make all of us nervous, okay, because it's a pretty daunting task. Uh, So when Jesus told the disciples to follow him on the Sea of Tiberias, which, which actually a lake, it's the um, what was the other name for it? The Lake of Gesineret, I think it was also called. But the stakes are much, much higher now, for there could be no illusions uh, about what Jesus would accomplish or how. It would be only through this unflinching commitment to God's word, applied diligently in every circumstance, that truly following Christ would now be possible. This week I was talking to a a young man, uh, a student across the way, while doing some evangelism. And I was reminded, uh, really, of how total the call to follow Jesus is when I went through the list for him of what would change were he to follow Christ. He's kind of a young guy, kind of saw the world through his own terms, wanted to live life on his own terms, uh, thought all this religion stuff was pretty basically unnecessary. Um, he was a little bit like the, the rich young ruler, you might say. Uh, and I don't think he was particularly happy with the offer that, that was made to him. Uh, for example, I said no longer would he get to decide what was good or bad or right or wrong. God gets to decide that when you follow Christ. No longer would he just be a uh, kind of walking bag of protoplasm, right? Uh, you know, the, the stakes on his life were much higher now. He now had a life of meaning and purpose. You, you couldn't just avoid that. Uh, he would not get to live as though he were the Lord of his own life, but rather Christ would be the Lord of his life. Every decision he made would now be guided by how he ought to live as God's child and as Jesus' disciple. And, of course, that is true for all of us, too. Maybe we're a little more used to it, but the call is equally radical. So in the midst of this heartbreak of the cross, the exhilaration of the resurrection, and this question of what to do now, I think this story is included uh, by by John because the disciples are at a a little bit of a breaking point. They're, They're falling back into old patterns and and habits. I I think when John includes Peter saying, I'm going fishing, it's not just a narrative text. It's a way of saying, I don't really know what to do. I'm going back to my old way of life. And the other disciples say, well, I guess we'll go too. So you, you see what's starting to happen. It's almost like everything that had been accomplished is now slowly slipping away. It's slowly getting lost. So that is why Jesus shows up at this moment. And just like when he first calls the disciples, they have a miraculous catch of fish. 
And once again, he uses this as a springboard to help them understand what it means to follow him. And so we must do then what the disciples did, which is we must take inventory of our life. We must be honest enough to ask, am I following Christ? What difference does it make if I do or if I do not? In what ways do I treat Christ like some kind of add-on to my life? He's like a plus one, right, at, at, at going to the party, right? Someone I'll benefit from when convenient, someone who owes me something rather than someone to whom I owe everything. We all have gaps in our following of Christ. And honestly, that gap could even be in trusting and resting in Christ, uh, right? Of trusting that Christ has done all that needs to be done for your forgiveness and salvation. We might be too casual towards Christ. We might be too legalistic. I couldn't say that from this pulpit. That is the inventory that we all need to do. But do it we must. For Christ says, follow me. And that is after he was crucified and risen. This is not a journey from point A to point B, but rather the journey of our hearts and minds away from ourselves and fully towards Christ our Lord. Amen.